Insights Today, the podcast series that focuses on big data and analytics and the latest trends in the digital world. I'm your co-host, Jeremy Roberts, and with me always is my co-host, Samir Khan. Hey, Samir. Hey, Jeremy. How's it going? Living the dream, I guess. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the right phrase, right? Getting ready Very for cool. your I'm excited, man. Huh? Yeah, big vacation coming up. I'm excited about that. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things to where you get some time off and, and I think a lot of people in the summer, you know, are getting ready for trips that revolve around 4th of July and they have time off. And the one thing they think about is, am I happy in my job? And should I look for something new, right? I mean, it happens right. to a lot of people. Totally. Right. You, you know, do your assessment. Kind of, summer and December are the two uh, break points where people switch their career, move jobs, move locations, switch companies. So lots of exciting things happen. Exactly. So today's podcast is actually part two of an interview series. Um, last podcast, we focused on building a great resume and um, you know presenting yourself online on places like LinkedIn. On this one, we're focusing on the interview itself. And we're going to go through some best practices on that interview. So Samir and I will ask each other some sample questions um, talk about how you're just supposed to present yourself and we'll just do a little bit more organic, you know, that way it's not uh, so fixed. So we don't really have principles to follow today. Today's really just more about the organic thing because, you know, I, I guess let's start with you first, you know, what has been your experience with hiring and interviewing just so the, the audience is aware? Yeah, that's great. So as you said, this is the part two of your, of our marketing career prep series. Uh, so in this one, like Jeremy said, we're talking about the interview preparation. So my experience after interviewing like, you know, hundreds of people and looking at thousands of different resumes over uh, 15 years, uh, what's, what's interesting is the game of interviewing has changed quite a bit. Uh, and I call this this game because, uh, yep. you know, it's sometime it could be a numbers game. If you're not hitting the number, you're not going to get selected. But sometime it could be positioning game. Like how do you position yourself in front of someone? Uh, the way I think of it, and this is both ways, like when I interview people and when people, when I go for an interview for a particular role and it, the interview doesn't necessarily has to be a job as well. Like you go for a partnership, you go for mm-hmm. a new business engagement or you go talk to your clients. It's all interview, right? You're interviewing them. They're interviewing mm-hmm. you. You're seeing their best fit or you, their best first fit. impression. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The most important thing, and in, in, I'm not a big believer, honestly, in the first impression is the last impression. Uh, I believe in the second impression. What I mean is that is once you get to know them, then people open up. Uh, I think in my view, yeah. the first impression is the last impression is sort of a myth because I personally, I'm not a kind of a guy when you see me first time, you're going to like, I want to connect with this guy. I'm not like that. You know, once you start to know me more, you see collaborate and we have a really good conversation that are like, oh, wow, that was a great uh, conversation and I really enjoyed it. Uh, and it may not feel like it may come out like right off the bat. Now, there are some personalities where you see them and you, you want to connect with them and they have that charisma mm-hmm. right of the gate. But but I'm a big believer that you build up your charisma over time and, and, you know, look at the election. Like they do multiple debates because no one really likes a candidate like right in the first debate. They build over them, they grow over them, yeah. catch up their personality, and then eventually people start liking them and eventually one person gets a lot of vote and they get elected. So it's all about your second impression 
Uh, and that's what really builds the rapport with people. That's what's really natural. Uh, and that produces a powerful outcomes. What, what are your thoughts on that? No, I, yeah, I, I, no, I completely agree. And I think for, for me, I have uh, more of an outgoing personality. For some people, it scares them a little bit. They're like, man, this dude's pretty intense. Or this dude, um, he's like, who is this guy? He's really, he's really outgoing. And I connect <laughs> with people quick. And some people get scared on that. And so usually it sometimes takes me one or two or even three times to, to get to know somebody. And then sometimes people pick it up. They like it. They're like, oh, wow, this, this guy seems cool. You know, I think we can get along. I think he'll be a good fit. So you never know what you're going to get. There's no such thing as a one size fits all. And I think that's what's the importance of the generalities to, of today's session or podcast is I have some ideas from my experience. Samir has some different ideas. We're not going to have the same ideas. Take and see what fits for you, you know, and that's really what's going to be best. So let's start this off. So something common, what to wear, right? I'm just off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. What do you wear to an interview? If, if you don't know what to wear, I always recommend the HR person or the person that set up the thing with you ask the question, mm -hmm. what is typical, what is typical that somebody wears an outfit at the interview, right? And if you say, well, I was thinking, a, you know, a full suit with a tie, they say, no, nobody wears a full suit with a tie. It'll be a little bit awkward and strange. Don't wear that. You know what I mean? They'll tell you what to wear, right? Ideally, yeah, sometimes yeah. if they're saying, yeah, 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 you know, like jeans and button down, dress one up, go one up a little bit higher, just right. in case. I you like know? that. I really like the one up idea. Uh, you know, make sure your shoes are polished and your hair is, are, hair is in place. Yep. You don't look like you just got out of sleep and you're up for the interview. Uh, <laughs> and it's funny, like it may sound really funny and awkward, but honestly, I have interviewed people that just felt like they just came out of uh, the bed for the interview. And yeah. like, come on, dude, it, it, this is, uh, you need to like... What? Uh, you need to uh, you need to be at least a little bit prepared to look yourself in the mirror before you go and uh, for an interview if you're really interested in the job. And that's where I would say the first impression is yeah. the last impression kind of have an impact in terms of how you're dressed up and if you have a beard or not beard that's fine. Yeah. But trimmed, you know, hair is trimmed. Uh, you wear a nice clean clothes. Uh, your shoes are polished. You're going like, to represent the company. Hygiene. Yeah, yeah. You're going to represent. Here's another thing. Um, I think some people think about it, even if you're interviewing in person, this is a big deal. If you're not interviewing in person, and let's say you're interviewing from home, and it's not really, okay, if it's a video chat, make sure you don't have really creepy stuff in the back, you know, or make sure that you actually at least took a shower you, or mm. woke up and combed your hair or something, and don't look like you just rolled out of bed five minutes before the interview and turned on the Zoom or WebEx and all of a sudden did the interview, Yeah. right? Or in another practice that I've done is when I do an interview, I stand up and I'm standing up the whole time because it makes me awake. Um, for different people, they like to feel comfortable and relaxed. So they sit down. I feel like if I sit down, I'm not as animated and my personality doesn't come out. So that, that's like the best that. practice for me. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Great. So, so now that you thing, have... Yeah. Yeah. Tell me. Well, I was going to say real fast. Another thing is like, don't wear too much perfume or cologne. Just oh yeah, don't that's do a big it. One. That's, like... that's, that's a big one. I, I have experienced that uh, when people are wearing too much of perfume and cologne, it it tends to be 
kind of overbearing on the other person because sometimes, you know, and people are allergic to different smells, right? So you don't want to be <laughs> the person that's interviewing you is going to be allergic and he's going to be out of there within minutes. He can't stand there or yeah. she starts sneezing. Uh, you want to avoid those types of situations. I like that. That's a good one. What else? Anything yeah. else that you do Anything? before you get to the interview? Uh, brush your teeth, obviously, but don't, don't chew gum in the interview. Like if you're going to have some gum before you walk in, take the gum out, throw it away just before you walk in the door. Well, I have, I have interviewed people that were chewing gum the whole time and it was irritating. <laughs> it was irritating and they felt it was kind of cool. And I, and I know like, you know, it, we are dealing with three, whenever I talk about career development and leadership coaching, there are three different generations we're dealing with in today's uh, yeah. in America, we have the baby boomers, we have the generation X and we have the millennials. And there are lots of uh, generational differences, which I appreciate and really you know, try to learn more mm -hmm. so we can work with each other really well. But there are things that may be great for one generation and may not be great for the other generation. Like if you expect yeah. millennials to go full five piece suit and tie and completely button up, they're not going to do that. Uh, and if you expect a baby boomer to go in an interview in just a t-shirt and jeans, although the t-shirt is acceptable in some interviews, they're not going to do that. So there are some yep. fundamental gaps, but there are things that is going to be more universal, uh, like not wearing a really powerful perfume or being more, you know, representing yourself in a hygienic way. Those are the things that are universal. It doesn't have to be a particular generation. So let, let me give you a, another thing. So let, let's say tattoos. I personally have a lot of tattoos, right? And it's one of those things to where I'm not going to go into an interview to where if I have a short sleeve shirt, you can see, you know, you can see my tattoo. Right. But I will never go into, no matter how casual it is, I'll never go into an interview with a short sleeve shirt. I'll wear a long sleeve shirt. And if I will, I'll slightly roll up my sleeves. So that doesn't become an issue because you could have a fantastic interview but let's say you happen to be interviewing with somebody within an older generation that really sees tattoos as a faux pas, mm -hmm. right? They see it as something bad. Like, who is this dude with a tattoo? How can he represent us in a high-level position? You won't get the job. So it sounds corny, and you may think, I need to keep it real, and this is who I am, You whether you like me or not. You know, when I, every time I interview, nobody knows I have tattoos. Once I get the job, they'll see it because I'm not going to wear a long sleeve shirt when it's a hundred degrees outside. You right. know what I mean? You're going to yeah, wear a short sleeve shirt. Point. And that so. applies to a lot of different things. You know, tattoo is one, uh, jewelry is the other one. Like how do you, uh, you know, what types of jewelry yep. piercing is the other one. And those are acceptable, uh, in a lot of different ways, but it also depends on the person that you're interviewing for. So put your best foot forward again. You know, we're not again biased or discriminating against anyone. It's yep. just a standard practice that people need to follow. And there are certain companies that will accept you the way you are, which is fantastic. And, you know, that, that's how their culture is. So it all depends on the culture. So before you actually go to the interview, one thing that I highly recommend people is not just look at the company's stock, uh, stock profile and the company revenue and pressure. Mm -hmm. Just look at the company culture. Uh, when I, this reminds yes. me, like a long time ago, when I was uh, uh, in 10 years uh, ago, when I was interviewing for Rackspace, you know, the first thing that I did is I studied their culture and I really liked it. And that's like, this is the company that I want to work for. It was a very trendy Google-like, Facebook-like culture. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, this is fantastic. This is kind of touches 
us uh, being at the cusp of the millennial and Generation X, uh, it resonates mm-hmm. with me really well. Uh, and I found it uh, very interesting and I prepared myself based on the culture that company had. Now, there are certain companies, you're not going to get anything from their website or social media presence about their culture. Nope. It, it will be pretty casual, standard business culture, but some companies will stand out. So it's very important for you to go study their culture as well so you can represent yourself in the best way. Cool. So we're actually going in chronological order here. So the first part was preparing yourself to go, right? Next, we talk about what documentation should you bring in? I always say, try to at least have, depending on the number of people you're going to interview with, you're going to interview with four different people, bring a copy of your resume, right? And just if, if they don't have it, you can hand it to them. 90% of the time, they already have it and they took notes or they're looking at it. They have some strange version. You can always say, well, I have a cleaner version if you'd like or something. You can hand it to them. But I would say always bring in a copy of your resume. Always. I really like that. And the fact that today uh, with all the digital age, people's resumes are transferred through PDF or Word document, a general expectation from the interviewer uh, is, uh, and the interviewee is like, hey, they're going to have the copy if, if I don't bring it. That's a bad assumption. Never assume anything in an interview. When you go with yeah. to the interview, like Jeremy said, bring a copy. At least have four different copies. I mean, it's going to cost like what five dollars for you to go to a FedEx King oh, Coast. No. Those printed, big deal. Make sure you do that because what if they don't have a copy? What if uh, yeah. you you know what if they're not able to get the uh, proper interview done because they cannot look at your experience. The first thing you go there and, you know, after you shake hands, look at directly in their eye, standard practice and uh, sit down for the interview process, offer them the resume copy and tell them like, hey, just in case I have extra copies of resume, if you need it, let me know. Uh, that's a very professional mm-hmm. attitude because that sounds like you're eager to get this job. You're really looking to talk to them and you're really having, looking to get a, a great conversation going. So that's, that's a good one. Fantastic. Okay. Now, you drive in there, show up, get there early. I mean, I would say 15 minutes early. If you have to sit in your car for five minutes and wait because you're too early, just go because imagine you get stuck in traffic or the train goes and you're stuck at a light or something happens, then you have to call and reschedule. That rescheduling could take two weeks to even a month sometimes to reschedule. Yeah, ne- never get schedule early. an interview unless it's an emergency. Exactly. Always. Okay, cool. Other thing is if you're going to be calling in for the interview, never be in a noisy place. I don't care what you have to do. If you have to go hide in a dark room somewhere because you have kids that are screaming or something because it's summer or go outside and sit on the street corner, just do that because the person on the other edge of the phone or the other uh, other side of the phone does not want to hear noise. it's like a little, something that could irritate them, right? Yeah, and you know? I, I can give a personal example. So I was doing an interview on the phone. Uh, it was a company based out of a different town than I lived. And uh, apparently, like, I didn't find any space in the Starbucks inside. So I had to sit outside the smart Starbucks. Now, there it was a quiet place, but the problem was the birds were chirping in the back. All the <laughs> And, uh, and it was a video interview, so they could see me, they could hear me clearly, but they were getting annoyed by the bird chirping interview. Uh, and later on, when I went to the in-person interview, they did call that out. Like, you know, although the sound quality and everything was good, but we were definitely getting annoyed by that bird chirping. So be careful about those things. You know, they, you may not even feel <laughs> the 
impacting your performance in the interview, but it does in a lot of different ways. Okay, so we talked about getting the interview, you show up, shake hands, right? Always shake hands with them, smile, be in a good attitude, be polite, hold the door, you know, just be nice, I guess. Have a, you know, be yeah, nice, I guess. I'm a professional. It's, it's like you're you're trying to sell yourself, right? How would you do that? Yeah. You would establish the repo by your personal attitude towards that job, which is a positive attitude, uh, a very direct forthcoming person who is great to meet and mm-hmm. you know, try to uh, establish a good professional relationship with. Uh, that's how we come. Uh, one thing that we, yeah. uh, we did call out about the, the documents that you carry, you know, I personally recommend in addition to resume, you have at least three to four case studies. And the structure that I recommend my coaching nice. to follow is uh, it's essentially the problem, the business impact, the solution, and the outcome. So what, what I mean is, you know, let's take an example. Um, you have a, a specific problem like, okay, my company was facing a challenge because the marketing qualified leads were not reaching to the sales rep uh, all the time. Uh, and they were losing about 20% of the revenue. So that's your business impact. What I did is my contribution as a marketer, I, I got my team to work on identifying at what point of time, uh, what point of time are we dropping these MQL and where these MQLs are getting out of the funnel. We found out that because there was not a clear handoff between our inbound reps and sales teams, we didn't know at what point of time they qualified these MQLs and we solved that gap by putting a lot of uh, different uh, good practices in place and also doing a proper hands-off in SOA. And as a result, the company was able to get the MQLs back and uh, regain the revenue. Great example. So that's how the structure, again, it's problem. Then you have the business impact. You know, what's, what's the negative business impact that's happening? Solution and the learning. So when you structure your case studies in this format, write it down, in the, type it down in the paper, print it, have four copies, depending on the number of interviews you have for each one of them. And so what's going to happen is you can own the conversation. It's not about getting the person who's interviewing mm-hmm. to own the conversation. It's you need to own the conversation. And the way you're going to do that is you have this prepared case study list. So when you start talking about it, they're not going to have too much opportunity to go around it because you're telling your story. You're explaining the situation. You're, you're guiding through that whole pattern showing how proactive you are in that particular case. I think that's the biggest, most important thing about once you're in their interview and you're talking to them is own the conversation. Owning the conversation and also my interpretation of that is not um, be rude. It's don't interrupt. Don't don't um, fix something that they said because then you're rude. You know what I mean? It's basically owning the conversation, meaning that draw all the attention to you and get them excited about what you're saying. Have passion in what you're doing. I've interviewed people to where they're zero passion. Mm-hmm. It almost seems like they're annoyed by the interview. I'm like, why the hell are you even here? Are you here? Yeah, you know, if, exactly. Why, why are you? Okay. So let's even get into that. So yeah, yeah. I think that's sometimes great. when, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go for it, go for it. And then I'll go yeah, to someone I was just else. Go for it. That when you get into conversation, it's interesting. It also depends on the type of the role. Uh, now, if someone is, is, and this happens in the industry, although it is, I don't like personally like this, but it does happen. If the person that is interviewing you has more experience than you and you try to outsmart them, 
in some or shape or form, they're not going to like it. <laughs> Uh, and, and I said before, like, I don't like this. It is not something that I recommend. Like, I entertain thoughts from people who have less experience than me. But a lot of people don't because there is definitely some, you know, a slight pride in them about their experience. And they don't want to be treated as if someone is coming out there pretty junior to them and telling them how to do it. But at the same time, don't tend to agree with them in every single thing. Uh, that is another flaw that a lot of people do is like, no. because I'm going in an interview with someone, you know, he or she is going to be my boss. I'm going to agree with them all the time. No, because you are bringing something valuable to the table. And that is the reason why, which they don't have right now. And that is the reason why they're calling you for the interview. So you can fill those gaps. So the area where you are there that you feel you can deliver value and provide expertise definitely be forthcoming about your thoughts, your idea in a very respectful way you know, and say, I agree. And my thought process about that is this, you know, tend to use the word I agree in a lot of different ways, because once you have that positive attitude and say, I agree with you, and here's what I think about it, then that's a very good way to position yes. it. Unless you say, no, 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 I don't agree with you that you get on a completely different rat hole. This is not a debate. This is an interview. You want to no. get the job. Because what they're doing yeah. They're trying to see how the interaction is going to be between you and them in the workplace. After, yeah. And if you're, you if you're constantly butting heads in the office space work. and you're like, man, every single time I talk to this person, we're always fighting over this. They're not going to hire you. Come on, be real, you know? Yeah. Okay. So here's another one. Um, I, I was doing uh, some example uh, sample interviews with uh, certain people and, you know, depending on whether they're a junior level marketer or they're an experienced marketer, Samir said it right on. If you're an experienced marketer and you see yourself, you know, this is kind of reiterating what Samir said. If, you're, if you see that you're more qualified or more experienced or more skilled than the person you're interviewing with, like I said, keep your mouth shut. Make sure that you're humble. You know, do those things. Say it correctly. But if you're interviewing somebody who's clearly a junior level marketer, you know, as that junior level marketer, don't try to show off. Don't sit there and try to one up and try to prove your skill set and, and try to showcase yourself as more than you are. If a manager is trying to hire you for a junior level marketing position and you clearly are a junior level marketing person based on your resume and based on the initial screening and stuff, that's what they're hiring you for. They're not sitting there expecting you to know everything and be the absolute master. Be who you are. Don't try to be more than you think you are, you know? Yeah, that's a great one. So, uh, another one from my standpoint, uh, when you're interviewing, again, going back to the, the role responsibilities in the position, let's say if you're interviewing for an executive position that's director or higher or VP level, uh, mm -hmm. one thing to keep in mind is at that point of time, they're not just hiring you for your domain expertise, which is your core expertise, whatever you think that you, you, know, you do really well. At that point of time, they're hiring you for an organizational expertise. What I mean by that is yes. display your team, uh, team organization expertise. Like how do you manage talent? How do you acquire talent? How do you manage it? How do you uh, keep your team engaged? Uh, what are the best practices that you've implemented in your past organization that have led to the growth of talent uh, and acquisition of the right types of people, maintenance of the company culture, uh, prevention of the employee attrition? 
uh, because employee attrition is a uh, concern for a lot of different companies as the, mm-hmm. uh, as I was talking about the generational gap, like millennials like to switch jobs very, very frequently. Uh, and you need to keep all of those things in mind. So, and articulate that how you are cap- how you're a capable leader, how do you handle these big items that uh, as an individual contributor or manager doesn't uh, suits the profile. And also, from a strategic standpoint, how do you build relationship with external partners, external entities? How do you build relationship with your peers, uh, your, the people that you report to? Uh, how do you network with them? Uh, how do you handle emotional situation? And give an example in your case study profile, bring up an example of, hey, this was a very emotional issue with for a lot of people that the company had to lay off a lot of people, but I was uh, I was a change management person and I enabled the change across thousands of employees and this is exactly how I did that. So it's a very powerful thing to have the conversation around those areas when you're interviewing for an executive role. Completely agree. So let me take the opposite side of that so we don't just focus on that. Let's talk about if you're a junior person, right? We talked about the executive side, the junior side. They know that you're coming in as an individual contributor. If you have on your resume no experience as a manager, they know you're an individual contributor. That means you're reporting to somebody. That means you worked on a team. So if you're interviewing, be sure to to talk about the fact that you're on a team. How did you work with your team? So when you're working on a project, you can say, yeah, this was something that I was assigned to, to work on myself. Or you can, you know, truthfully say, yeah, I was, uh, me and another member of my team were assigned on this and we worked on it together. And managers like to see that. They like to know how you, how you play well with others, right? If you did everything on your own, did you ask questions, right? If you didn't know something, did you go to that manager and ask questions and be like, yeah, you know, there was a time when I was trying to solve this. It was a little bit difficult because that's out of my wheelhouse, but I really was excited about the opportunity to do something new and different. And I did have a lot of questions about it, but at the end of the day, I was able to solve that from the guidance of my manager. And boom, if somebody who's interviewing you hears that, they're going to say, I like this person, right? They want mm-hmm. to finish it. They like, but they come to me for guidance and they're going to say, man, this person's awesome. You know? Yeah, that's terrific. I, I really like that approach. Uh, one thing that comes to my mind is uh, we can't touch too much on it because there is like endless amount of questions that people can ask in the mm-hmm. interview. But there are a few things to keep in mind. Like one thing that comes up really frequently when I talk to people is the salary question. Should I ask for salary in the interview or not? Uh, My recommendation is ask for salary when you're doing the pre-screen with the HR person. So you don't have to worry about getting to the interview because if this job is not within your salary range or expectation, you're just wasting time going for the interview even if you get qualified and selected because you're not going to go for the job because the salary is not going to be what you originally expected. So what I would personally do is when you have this pre-screen interview with the HR person or even your manager, you can get, you can ask them like, Hey, what is the range of, what is the salary range for this job? And it's always good and professional to ask the salary range. So then they can give you a ballpark of like, Hey, this is from 90 to 120. You know, this, that's what the range is for this job. Uh, So then you can be comfortable and say, okay, yeah, that fits my profile. I'm good. Or they're going to say, no, this is 50 to 60 K. You're like, that's not going to work. So why don't you, why you waste the time showing up at the interview, taking off from your current job? It happened to me once to where I was interviewing for director level and above position, and it was for a role that would have been a global role, right? Global demand gen. So if you're sitting there thinking it's a global company and you're the director of global demand gen, that's a pretty tasking job, right? 
and there's offices in London and in Hong Kong and all this other stuff. And you're the one person who's going to be managing all that. And I went through the entire interview process and then they eventually came back to me and they said, uh, we're really sorry. We're going to have to move on with other candidates. So I was like, why? I thought the interview went well. And I said, well, actually, you're the best interview we've ever had. And you're absolutely the most qualified person. We just don't think we can afford you. And we never had that question at the beginning. Right. And I said, just, just, just tell me, what do you, I mean, don't, don't just tell me you can't afford me. What were you going to offer? In that offer, it was just barely eclipsing six figures. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there thinking, I think this company, it's right that they're going to make that decision because if the company's thinking it's a global demand gen role for a director level and above, and they're just breaking a hundred thousand, that is, that's not doable. So what it comes down to is when you're having that conversation, I think it's smart to know your worth, right? Look at your past experience. And I know um, we can talk about this in another podcast, or you can even reach out to senior specifically on his expertise, but there are ways to jump from salary from one company to your next company and do it effectively and what is fair and what is unfair. You know what I mean? But know your worth. I think what it comes down to is know what you're worth and have yourself a low and a, and a mid and a high because there are some jobs where we're going to offer you something crazy and you're going to say, wow, I never thought I could make that much money. Hey, read the fine print before, <laughs> before you sign up. You never know. You never know what you're in for, you know? Yeah, that's totally, uh, totally great point. And I think I felt the, uh, from the from a salary perspective, like a lot of people are very hesitant. And a great example that you brought up, Jeremy, it's what could happen if you're yeah. hesitant and you're not asking the right questions from a salary standpoint. Another one that uh, comes to my mind when you get to the interview is have a personal rapport with the person. So don't just typically, yeah. you know, usual question like, oh yeah, what's you know, where you live, are you married or not kids? But try to get, to know them at least a level deeper than the formal questions or uh, what do you call it as a short talk, right? You, you need to get into a more, little bit more deeper. Small talk. Yeah. Small talk, right. Uh, it's important yeah. because then you're going to build a rapport and they can relate to you. You know, you talk about your family, talk about an experience yeah. you had with your kid or if you have a kid or talk about you know, your girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever the case is, you know, talk. Your Travel. Kid. Yeah. Yeah, in, but don't don't go too deep into a specific example where you're gonna like reveal some things that you don't want to reveal. But bring that level of personality there so they can relate to you and say, "Oh yeah, I can relate to this person. I I probably have been in this situation or I probably experienced it, something like this." So it's very important to get that personal connection. There, and in a lot of cases where people. Uh, they ace the interview when, when I tell them like one of the things that they did really well is to establish that personal connection because today in market, you may have a lot of different professionals that may or may not have the capabilities uh, that you have. And a lot of people may have it. The way you differentiate is by using these tactics that you build that personal edge, you build that personal connection and you establish a solid yeah. rapport with them. Cool. So let, let, let's talk about some, um, um, difficult questions to answer in, in, in a marketing analytics interview. What if they ask you a question? And obviously, you know, I, this is not me trying to figure out how to stump Samir or Samir figuring out how to stump me. That'd be kind of funny. I don't think we've ever done that before. Um, <laughs> not on the podcast. We're probably not going to try. Yeah, not on the podcast, right? <laughs> but what if somebody asks you a question that you clearly don't know? 
and obviously I know the answer here, but what is your answer to that? It's like, if let's say somebody asks you a question and I'm going to make it up. Let's say you're applying for digital, uh, digital marketing role and they ask you about your thoughts and theories around walled gardens versus open gardens and integration of data and how that can effectively increase customer experience and so on. Mm-hmm. If you can answer that, cool. If you can't answer that, what do you say? I would say that's a great question. Uh, I have not done much research in that area, but that's an opportunity for me to look into. Like it. That's, ex- that's exactly what I would say too. Yeah. It's, don't sit there and try to BS your way through an answer because the first thing you're going to say is, wow, that was a really, <laughs> I, if I was interviewing you, I would kind of sad I'm not going to laugh, but I would internally, I would kind of be like, wow, that was a stretch there. Yeah, I I, I think and this is something this is also a place where a lot of people slip uh, and fall down Mm -hmm. is they tend to answer every single question. Yes, I think and this happened with and I've seen people across the board, not just uh, people who are coming from a junior role, but also executives. They feel like if I answer all the question, I'll be the smartest person in the room. Uh, While that's not primarily what you're shooting for, you're shooting to get the job. That's all you want. Like your goal in that interview is to get the job and not prove that you're the smartest person or you're going to be the best manager or the leader. So make sure that you articulate, like Jeremy said, you don't have to answer everything. You have to answer, be selective in the questions, provide really thoughtful answers, have a good conversation. And also when an opportunity comes, tell them upfront, like, hey, I have not you know, I've not spent time looking at that. And that may be something that I can look into, but that's an interesting question. Exactly. You tailor it. I've always had an interest in that. I've always had a passion for that. I'd love to learn more. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't answer every single question. It's not like you have to, you're in a test of some sort that you have to get a hundred out of hundred. It's it's not like, (laughs) even if you got, you know, all, almost all the questions, right. But you didn't answer like five or six questions for whatever reason, you're still going to be okay. Yeah. So here's a, I guess here's another one. So when you're going through the interview process and, um, you know, they're asking you difficult questions about, uh, I guess this is telling the truth, right? And they're asking you about who worked on these projects. You don't want to always say it was just you, right? You never want to clearly say that because a lot of times they're going to say, wow, I didn't think that you um, knew SQL because you wouldn't have been able to do this unless you had data analytics <laughs> capabilities, right? Yeah. You, if you lie in the interview, that's bad. That, that basically guarantees you to never get the job, you know? <laughs> yeah, if you lie in the interview and get caught lying, that's even bad, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I know like, you know, yeah. tend to provide some information that is... Uh, they, they may have limited experience. They try to show they have a lot of experience and it happens. Like you may have you because experience is certain things like no one really can measure. So it's not more about lying, but no. it's how much you can share or not. But if you say something and apparently that is not truth and they find out that it's not truth, then that's going to impact you in a very severe way. Stay away from lying in the first place. Uh, but even if you're articulating the experience, make sure that you tailor to uh, a particular experience that you had that you can communicate effectively. So, you know, if, if you are sharing an expertise, if you're sharing details, then you can 
back it up with a personal experience or personal story in your past organization and professionally? So here's another one. If somebody is going, if they're asking you a question, right, and they're going to say, tell me about a time or this, I want you to go. And maybe what I like to do is if there's a whiteboard in the room, I usually hand them a set of markers and I ask them to do something and I want them to go explain it. I want to see their brain on a whiteboard. And, And with that, if you don't really get what I'm asking you, the first thing that I would really expect you to do is ask me a clarifying question. Just say, I don't really understand the question or can you give me more details? You know, that for me is absolutely huge because it tells me that you want to have a conversation, right? You don't want to just wait to write down, okay, cool, I'll, I'll be back in two hours with the answer. No, let's have a conversation about it first. So for instance, I usually say, I, I like to do this. I like to do the ultimate terrible interview question where I just kind of make you either really excited or really nervous and you kind of start sweating through your suit or something to where... And Samir's heard this before. Well, I'll give him a marker and I'll say, okay, here's a scenario. New iPhone's coming out and your company sells the new iPhone case. And, you know, your ultimate goal is to get a 1.5 to 1 return on investment. You have a half a million dollar budget with six months. What would you do? And I just stop there. And most people at that level will either get excited or they'll panic. And my expectation with that, if somebody asks you a really wonky question like that, the first thing you should do is just ask more questions. Don't just start writing and going crazy because you know what that tells me? You don't care about the data. You don't care about looking into the details. You're making a whole bunch of assumptions. So I would start asking more questions like, what are your goals? Mm-hmm. Is 1.5 to 1 return on investment your only goal? Okay. Do we have maybe a goal based on specific promotional items? Do we have a timeline goal? Do we have an efficiency? Anything. Just ask me a ton of questions. So I think what the, 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 what to get out of that one is if somebody gives you a task and asks you to do something, ask more questions, clarify and keep clarifying and making sure that you understand that and have an example engagement back and forth because they want to feel like what's going to happen in real life, you know? Yeah, that's a great one. And I think it's very important for you to have some type of a whiteboarding experience because that kind of just, just Jeremy yeah. said, it opens your mind to a different way of communicating your ideas. Some people are visual. Some people are auditory. Like, you know, they like to hear the sounds and some yeah. people are kinesthetic, which is like they, they, ha- they have emotional thoughts, like their thought process where trumps your vision and hearing ability. So you have to treat every person differently. Now, try and understand when, when this person is talking more about the experience in the visual form or they're talking more about the emotional form or they're more into the sounds and uh, association with it. Once you understand like what type of personality it is, you can articulate and connect with them really well. Because if this person is visual, and a lot of marketing leaders are, when you communicate to them in a very emotional way or in a very... Uh, you know, try to connect them into a logical way, it's not going to resonate with them. And going to a whiteboard and explaining your ideas and thoughts like, hey, do you mind if I answer that question using a whiteboard? And they'll be completely okay. You know, they're, me or Jeremy, I will be like, yeah, sure, take, here's a marker, go for it. Uh, and then you will give it an opportunity to articulate your idea that really connects with them. So another one that, that I, that for me is, these are more of like little pet peeves, right? Um, don't call yourself a, a growth hacker. 
or a, a change agent and, and these really wonky words that, that don't really mean anything. You know, if you do lead generation, you do lead generation. If you do demand gen, you do that. If you're an email marketer, you do email marketing. You don't do email growth hacking, right? That's like some, that's like buzzword city. Like if I hear somebody say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a hacker. I'm a, I do this or, and I'm, I'm making fun of the word hacker a lot right now, but the, there are these phrases that we all know. It's like, don't overuse those phrases, right? Yeah, they're very um, the second part of what, cliche, right? The second part I was going to say is, don't lie in your resume and, and when you're in the interview, keep referring back to yourself as a really data-driven, you know, marketer who really focuses on achieving, you know, and exceeding your goals. And you use this jargon like data-driven. But yet when you do an example, nothing about what you're doing, none of your examples like the use cases that Samir talks about have anything to do with data. If you never mention data and you don't use data to analyze what you're doing, you're not data-driven. It, it's, <laughs> I don't know how better to say it. Yeah. If you don't use data, you're not data-driven. You're not data-driven. Right? You don't think analytically uh, and you cannot, uh, no. not tailor. It's not bad. Yeah. It's not bad it's at not all. It's not bad. It's just not who you are. Creative, and they don't have to be data-driven. Yeah. They're, they're creative and they can produce ideas and thoughts and strategies. So, um, yeah, mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that. And one thing that also comes to mind in, in, in today, we live in the age of automation and more and more automation is kind of come and you know, it's one topic that is really close to my heart, which is the whole, uh, the transformation of the career and job in the event of AI mm -hmm. and automation. Be prepared to share your thoughts and ideas on what the future holds like for the job market that you're interviewing for. If you're asked, yes. obviously, if you're not asked, you don't have to go and be in that area, but show that you're forthcoming, you're futuristic, you have put consideration in terms of automation and how that's going to impact the job today and tomorrow, because it's not just about what you're going to do today for the company, how you're going to prepare with the changes that are going to happen for that company tomorrow. And some industries are going rapidly into automation, like manufacturing. Mm -hmm is one, one thing that comes to my mind. Even some certain areas of marketing and finance, a lot of automation is happening. But there are certain industries that are laggards. They are not into automation as quickly as they need to be. So in those industries, automation doesn't apply. So depending on what your industry is, bring that into the mix, have the AI and automation conversation. That could be a very good opportunity for you to articulate your thoughts and express uh, your ideas and talk about like, hey, how does the future evolve? And, you know, what do you see this role evolving in the future? And what are the opportunities there for you, for your team, if you're going to have one? Cool. So let's roll into the later part of the interview. The interview is about to end up. You feel like the person has asked you a whole bunch of questions. You feel confident that you've expressed everything you want to express. And they ask you, do you have any questions for me? Yes. You always have questions, right? Mm -hmm. One of them could be, uh, could you clarify the role for me again? I'd be really curious to understand, you know, what the role entails and what are the expectations, especially in the first 30 to 60 to 90 days. You know, what are the expectations over the year? Ask those questions. Um, you know, ask about uh, tools and stuff. Ask about different things, you know. And, and for me, is, is there's one. Yeah. Team structure, yeah, and so I'll, there's a and Samir, you know, you, you can go through. I'd like for you to follow up if you could, like with some of your questions. But there's one question I always ask before I leave the room. The last question I always ask is, 
do you do you feel like there was something in my interview where you felt like I did not give you enough information to be able to to understand my value? Like, is there any more clarification you need from me on my ability to do well at this job? And I always ask that question. And it, and what's cool about it, it's not mean and it's not anything. It's just, it's, it kind of puts them on the spot, right? Mm -hmm. It puts them on the spot to clearly say, yeah, I don't really think you're a good fit. And I've heard that before. Mm -hmm. And I kind of felt like it too. Like afterwards, like, I don't think we're a good fit, like from my point and from your point, or it reinforces it. And, and they sometimes say, yeah, I really enjoyed the interview. I, all the things that I really wanted to know, I heard. And I'm really happy to push you to the next stage. And then, boom, you're super excited inside. And you feel like you're just going to wait for that confirmation email. But I always end with that. Always end with that. Yeah, I really love that question. That's a very powerful question to uh, address the issues and concerns they have. Because it's quite possible, like, you know, depending on how many interviewers uh, you're talking to, sometimes mm -hmm. you may only get 30 minutes. And it's very hard to communicate your value in those 30 minutes. So as Jeremy said, if you ask that question at the, you know, almost like if you have 10 minutes left and you ask them like, hey, have I answered all of your questions? Do you think that I could deliver the value? And if not, then can you tell yeah. me what areas and opportunities? Then you can go more exactly. deeper and share the, the areas that where they feel like you or have follow up information. Or follow up with an uh, email. If they don't have time. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe, maybe. Shit, dude, follow up with an email with a multi-paragraph explanation. If not, do a PowerPoint. I'd love to send you a presentation on, on what I think about it. Impress yeah. them. Exactly. Find a way to get excited and impress them. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and talking so, about impressing, one thing that I stress a lot to people is don't try to impress everyone as much as you try to impress the hiring manager. The hiring yeah. manager is the ultimate person that you need to impress. In being in interviews many, many times, it's ultimately the hiring manager's decision whether or not to hire that person. Now, in some companies, it's a vote. They do a vote after the interview, and then they, the panel, they do an upvote or downvote. If there are multiple downvotes, obviously the hiring manager is not going to hire you. But if there are a mixed bag, then it's up to the hiring manager's discretion. And if it's positive, it's also up to hiring manager's decision. So you need to, the first person that you need to impress is your hiring manager. And make sure you build immediate connection with them, immediate rapport with them, address their, <clears throat> address their concerns, answer their questions, and provide uh, really good value to them as a candidate. Cool. Okay, so let's, let's, let's close it up here. You've done the interview, you shake hands, you always say thank you. You know, thank you for taking time out of your day to interview. Um, please do feel free to email me or contact me if you have any other questions or concerns or anything you need me to clarify, right? You leave the room, you're nice. Well, before you one thing, like that, before right? you room, one last thing yeah. is always make sure you ask them what is the next step in the process. Yes. That's a critical, that yes. critical question that uh, sometimes, uh, you know, with the, with the, the flow of the conversation that are going and, you know, both parties are having good time and having conversation. And then you forget, you leave the interview you're like, Oh, I forgot to ask them, like, what are the next steps? And then you have to chase the HR person or chase the HR uh, or the hiring yeah. manager. It's really good to have that question right out the gate and say, Hey, what are the next steps? When should I expect a response from you? 
uh, how long is going to take to get the response. Once you ask this question, then you're kind of sealing in, so you're having some type of commitment from them to have you know, to get a response. Now, some cases, if you're very early in the cycle, they say, oh, we have a six months long interview process, then you know that, hey, I don't want to waste six months with this company while I'm trying to find another job like in the next few weeks or month. Then you have a very clear indication of, I'm not going to wait six months, you know, it's just not worth it. Or they say, oh, we're going to make a decision in the next three weeks. Then if you interview qualified for other interviews that you have given in past, you know that you can wait for another three weeks and you can if this is the company I yep. want to wait, work for, you can wait for a few more weeks. Exactly. And so once you leave, you go home, I would say sit down, take 10 minutes out once you get home that day and write a thank you email, right? So it's still fresh in your head. And if you have a specific memory of something you spoke about that really caught your attention, that you really were excited about, say it in the email. Don't write a novel. Don't write one or two lines. Thank you for your interview. Look forward to the next steps. Goodbye. You don't say that either. Somewhere in the middle, right? Yeah. And it, you got to do it. If you don't do the follow-up. Absolutely. I like terrible. that. Really like that. I think pick a point from the interview. Make sure one thing we didn't mention is make sure you have a notepad and a pen so you can jot down different points when you talk to different people, especially your boss, the things that they want you to take care of if you get hired in the first 30, 90, 60, 90 days. And in the thank you email, be able to articulate at least one or two points about that 30 days, 90 day plan, which we're going to talk about in the final series on how you prepare for it. But make sure you articulate that in your email follow up. So then they can really think that, okay, you are a person who cares about things and who have done the preparation during the interview and also taken notes and also now following up. Awesome. This has been awesome. This is a little bit longer of a, of a session podcast that we normally do, but I think this is extremely important and everybody's going to have to do this at least 10 times in their life, at least or dozens of times in yeah. that interview. Millennials will dozens. do more than 10 times. <laughs> Man, crazy. So crazy. Um, this has been fantastic. As always, email us with questions, email us with uh, ideas. Please, please go in there, put in reviews, put in comments, like and share our stuff. We, we need more. Um, and we're really happy to keep, this is almost three, three plus years going, right? Yeah, three plus years. Uh, I know, it's crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. All right, so it's been great. And uh, Samir, I'll see you soon. See ya, thank you guys.